Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. We did get to watch the Super Mario Grand Prix. We did, and it was very truly a Super Mario Grand Prix. Yeah, I, I think there may have actually been some Cooper Troopers involved in this whole thing. I think there were a few people out there trying to collect stars that were off the course. Yeah, but we'll get to that in a second. First, we, we have to go to IndyCar. And w- Wait. We have to start it. In, this you did get the memo. We are a Formula One podcast. But we talk about both, not as much about one over the other. But we do talk about IndyCar. I mean, we, again, a couple of weeks we're headed down to Mid Ohio. There's that whole thing that that's happening. We do talk about IndyCar, and I've only got the one story. The one. And 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 first, I have to put a disclaimer out there. Given the events that have occurred in the last few weeks, and the reason why this story is not there as any kind of a political commentary or anything on the Supreme Court decisions or anything that the administration is doing. And as a matter of fact, I don't even think this is related to any of that stuff. This is more the, when you are a globe-trotting, multidiscipline driver, athlete, celebrity, whatever, sometimes some logistical things get in the way. Somebody lost their luggage? Well, a a couple of weeks ago was Le Mans, as we mentioned, while we were in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Well, several IndyCar drivers, as well as other disciplines, drive in Le Mans. Mm -hmm. Um, Hulkenberg won Le Mans a few years ago. He he did. um, Also from Channel 4, and I'm all of a sudden drawing a blank. Allen. No. You're not Alan McNish is broadcasting for BBC. Pit Lane, um, also the Williams Heritage Driver. Um, Paul DeRosta? No, that's Sky Sports. Um, who does the great technical analysis? Oh, of Haroon. Naroon, no. No. Wow, I can't believe I am. Anjar. Drawing- uh- I can't pronounce his name. That's the problem. I can see him. I can see the face, too. But he, he also, he, he drives in Le Mans. He was in, I think, well, the last five years, he's had top ten finishes. Um, there was talk of Max Chilton driving because Manor still exists as a viable Le Mans team, or WRC w- team, or WEC team. I was going to say, isn't that WEC? WEC. Uh, so Manor Racing is still part of that thing. Uh, there was talk of Max Chilton uh, driving in that. but on- Chandar. Karun Chandak. That's who we're thinking of. We think. Yes. Um, well, also driving from the IndyCar series was Mikhail Alicia. Now, the way this should have worked is he finishes the race, goes and packs everything up, hops on a plane, flies out to, my guess would be Chicago, for the following weekend, the IndyCar race over at Road America, so he could hop in a car with, with Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports, and off he goes and does all the you know the practice stuff and gets re-acclimated to being in the IndyCar. Unfortunately, there was a bit of a visa issue. And initially, it looked like he was not going to be able to get back into the country at all. Wait a minute. Just out of curiosity, because I don't follow this. Where is Le Mans hosted? Isn't that in Spa? It's in France. France. No, it, it's not Spa. It's... Okay, France. Yeah, Le Mans, France. 
And last time I checked, France and the U.S. didn't have a visa. Yes, but Mikhail Olishin is Russian. Oh. Remember, it's not the country he was traveling from. It's the country he's a citizen of. He needs to fix that. Well, <laughs> there, there were many panic phone calls to but get the whole situation sorted. wouldn't he have had a visa from prior? Well, what we don't know. What I would guess, given the amount of time he needs to spend in the United States, is it's one of these, like, blanket six months visas. My guess would be, depending on when that whole process started and when his racing career began and all of that, is when expiration dates occurred. And possibly his visa normally expires middle of the season, which could have been what happened here. Or maybe it's a type of visa. Maybe it wasn't an expired visa, maybe it was a type, and because he's racing, it's a working type visa and, and that, something that like that. That may be it also. It, it may also be a matter of, you know, a lot of countries have a requirement that in order to come back into the country, you have to have six months left. Mm-hmm. And maybe he, he had fe- fallen just inside of that window, and that caused the problem. I don't. I mean, th- there's a whole lot of permutations here of probably just boils down to somebody forgot to send in the paperwork in time, and it slowed everything down. But as a result, he missed most of the pre-race stuff. He missed all the practices except for, like, the Sunday practice. I think he got back just in time for qualifying. How did he do? You had to ask that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I figure we've got a poor guy that's a little stressed out from travel woes. And uh, he's missed all of his practices. And the last car he was in was not an Indy car. So I'm kind of wondering, did he do okay? I'd have to go take a look. I'll look that up. Keep talking about his. This isn't the first time that an Indy car driver has run into these problems. Um, Apparently back in 2011, uh, Simona Di Silvestro, which unfortunately she's got a little bit of a dark cloud over her head and I'll remind you of that in a second. But Simona Di Silvestro was supposed to come in and drive in um, uh, Sonoma. And there were visa issues that prevented her from getting into the country. She missed the race. Now, she's a Swiss citizen, or she was a Swiss citizen, I should say. And visa issues caused a problem there. Now, Simona Di Silvestro, there was a lot of hype around her back in 2012-2013 time frame. Um, because she was a test and development driver for Manor, if you'll recall, who was involved in a really horrific accident in straight line testing with the Manor, where she plowed into the back of one of the, the team lorries. Oh, you remember that? Yes. And uh, a few years later, passed away due to complications from those injuries. So you're still looking up what. Well, I'm having trouble finding the Road America race. That's the weird thing about it. It's the Kohler Grand Prix. Thank you, because it was list- you called it Road America, and I was looking for that. Um, so at the race, he didn't do very well. Um, Jet lag. I'm assuming. He came in, it looks like 10th. Oh, that's actually not bad. For IndyCar, with the number of cars that run, 10th is, is usually considered a pretty decent showing. Yeah. Uh, Scott Dixon won. Um, the guys that we follow, Max Chilton came in ninth. Alexander did not do well either. Mm. He was 13th. 
Okay. It was not a good race. I'm going to tell you that. Just from the standings, I'm looking at this going, it's not a good race. Well, let's move over to F1 now. Okay. You know, after the whole boardroom revolt that occurred over at McLaren last year and the various buyouts that happened and Zach Brown coming in and Mansur OJ taking over, there were a lot of folks who looked around and said, you know what, Ron still got all these shares in the technology group and all these other things. You can't say that the Ron Dennis era is over. You just can't. They were saying this. What? Over? Did you say over? Nothing is over until we decide it is. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! Germans? Forget it, he's rolling. And it ain't over now. No, actually it is. It is officially <laughs> over. It, it is officially over. Is Ron, it over, over? Yes, it, it is completely over. Um, Ron Dennis has sold off his remaining shareholdings in McLaren Technology Group and McLaren Ownership and as a result has relinquished his directorships of both organizations. He has no ties whatsoever with McLaren as an organization anymore. Wow. You know, when you think about it, he, he was first involved with McLaren as far back as September of 1980. He is probably one of the last next to Frank Williams, the last of F1's old guard. It's like 37 years? Mm-hmm. Wow. But what do you think? I mean, this is just total speculation. What do you think? Do you think he's done done with Formula One? Or do you think that some other permeation of Ron Dennis will come back? I think he's done. Like, Formula um, One's no longer good to him. He's done. Yeah, I, I, I think he is even more done than Bernie is done. Um, I think Bernie's still holding on. I, I could see Ron deciding to invest in a lower-level team just to have his hands in motorsport in general or maybe in you know another series just to have his hands in motorsport. But he doesn't need to. He's got the money, and he's got everything else that – he doesn't need to be involved. Um, he does have some other, and I have to go looking for it now because I didn't have it in front of me. He's going to be involved in what he says, a series of other programs and activities, especially those focused on public service. Um, so I believe he's got some other roles that he's taking. Um, well, he, he's working with the UK government's Ministry of Defense Innovation Advisory Panel in helping to improve the technology, culture, and organizations that together safeguard the UK's national security. He's also going to continue to run his family's charitable foundation, Dream Chasing, which focuses on mentoring and financing children and young people from all walks of life so that they may aspire to and succeed in whatever their career dreams may be. Um, so for... The UK's version of DOD, Department of Defense, mm -hmm. he is going to be involved in culture building. Did you just read that correctly? Because he's known for his culture building skills. Relationship manager. Yes. <laughs> yes. All of a sudden, I see evil HR manager from Dilbert in my mind. Oh, I was thinking Jen from uh, the IT crowd. 
because she was a relationship manager. Also possible. <laughs> Definitely uh, the the cat from Dilbert. Okay. So we're about that time in a season. When we start silly season or that we all speculate who's going to win the championship? Oh, no. Constantly. Oh, no. It's silly season. You need to get into that music one. (sighs) (laughs) Okay. So who's moving who? Well... First, let me talk about what we know. What we know is that former Benetton team principal and current Fernando Alonso manager Flavio Briatore was in Azerbaijan for the the race weekend. Okay. Um, We know that Flavio and Toto Wolf had dinner in Azerbaijan. Do we know what they ate? We we don't know what they ate. <laughs> Do we know from, what they drank? <laughs> from from what I know from listening to the the um, English F one journalists, they probably went out for Italian because that seems to be what they do in every country. Is well, it's a everybody goes out. No. Yeah, they go to they go to China and all the drivers have a big thing at, at an Italian restaurant in Shanghai because you know it's that's what no. you do. You go to Shanghai and have Italian food. It, it makes it's sense. It's a no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how. I'm not sure I would consider Italian food in China to be unknown. <laughs> More unknown than known. But think about it. Your experience with, well, and keep in mind, it's it's American Italian food, which is hardly Italian Italian food. But if you kind of think about it, the general concepts of what is Italian, considered Italian food, are fairly known, as opposed to some Chinese restaurants in China where you pick your meat from a bin outside, like a Rubbermaid tote, and it's possibly still alive and swimming. Ducks and, hanging from the ceiling? Well, I'm more thinking about the octopus that you love so much. It's, it's just a giant bag of snot. Right, but there's, there's like tubs of giant bags of snot sitting outside, and you can just reach in and grab your bag of snot and hand it to the waiter and say, here, this is what I'm going to eat today. I don't know if the drivers think that's a great idea. Possibly. Maybe Maybe they need to carb load before they have races. <laughs> anyway, so they had a little Chianti and some fava beans and... Well, what Toto had to say. Yeah, Let's those. start there. We, we don't have words from Flavio. Which, based on the brief interview that David Cothart had on the the pit walk last weekend, that's probably a good thing because I I think the only word I understood that came out of Flavio's mouth was the. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure there was anything else that made sense out of that. <laughs> but what Toto had to say, he said, if you have dinner with Flavio, it's clear that you talk about Alonso, but we are very happy with our current driver lineup. There's no reason to question that. So there wasn't any talking about Fernando joining a team. We talked about Indy. Now, on the other hand, the press went to Alonzo and asked Alonzo about the weekend in general. And and what Fernando had to say was, so far it has been quite positive in many ways. Now, when he was asked specifically if this was because his management has had talks about his future, he reiterated, 
as I said, it has been very positive for me. <laughs> Fanning the fire. <laughs> Fanning the fire. <laughs> and yet, the one surety that we can offer everyone who's watching Fernando's career with such diligence is that no matter what happens with his career, he will be his own worst enemy. Well, absolutely. <laughs> Without a doubt. Everyone will be left scratching their heads trying to figure out what in the world was Fernando thinking when he makes his next move. Well, you know what's probably going to end up happening with yes. Fernando? Fernando's going to make a move this year. Regardless of where he goes, Fernando's going to make a move this year. And he's going to leave McLaren. Maybe he goes to Indy. Maybe he goes to Williams. I don't know. But he leaves McLaren. Whatever McLaren does, whether they stay with Honda or whether they go to Mercedes, whatever McLaren does, next year, McLaren will probably win five races. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly, you're, tr you're right. It did take Ferrari a couple of more years to get to, like, being competitive like this, but I mean, it took but three. They won a couple of races like still... right after Fernando left. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's much more likely that McLaren will win its first race since like 2012 once Fernando has left. It, you know, it, it's entirely possible at this point. Um, back to the whole driver situation with Mercedes and Fernando and all that. Toto has gone on a little further. And in a nutshell, he said that right now Valtteri's doing what he needs to do. He, he's he's fit in well with the team. They're happy with what they're seeing from him. Um, they haven't made a decision what to do beyond this year yet. But they're more comfortable with him. They're, they're happy with what they're seeing. And Toto says right now there's no reason not to continue with Valtteri. And I kind of agree with that. I mean, it's clear that what they need Valtteri to do, what they signed Valtteri to do, is when Lewis was not performing, that Valtteri was there to pick up the pieces. And he certainly has been. And if you had any doubt about Valtteri's skill, look at the Mario Grand Prix. Super Mario Grand Prix. Yeah. He got hit in the first corner and dropped back a lap down in the back of the field and made it back to be even with his starting position. Now, got to think that one through for a minute. Mm -hmm. That is some phenomenal, phenomenal driving. And yes, he was aided by some safety cars. And yes, we can make excuses all the way around. But I'm sorry, you don't go down to 18th place one lap down and end the race in second with the ability to push that had the race been a little bit longer, I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't challenging Ricardo for the win. I think that would have been a distinct possibility. Because they were within <clears throat> seconds of, I mean, they were not separated. There was that last little push. No, it was the push on third, right? Well, it was the push on third, then he just got in there in time. Right. But yeah, I mean, he was pushing all the way to the end, and I was impressed. I mean... I think everybody was impressed with that. So, yeah, I don't think you pass somebody over that's been able to, and truly, pick up the much-needed points for Mercedes to keep them ahead. Yeah. Um, and Valtteri, he put his head down, 
elbows out, and did what he had to do. Now, they need to figure out this whole magnet that seems to attract Kimmy and Valtteri. I know. <laughs> They're talking weird. about it being like this war of countrymen. Yeah. But, yeah, whatever is in Kimmy's um, Ferrari and Valtteri's Mercedes, they need to pull that and make it polar opposite so they can stop pinging off of each other because those two run into each other way too much. Now, also, if you remember last week, we talked about the bomb that Eddie Jordan dropped. Yes. Now, just the the quick review of what Eddie said was, in a nutshell, that the end of 2018, the contracts for both Patronus and UBS expire, Mercedes' major sponsors, and that Patronus, at this point, does not intend to renew that contract. And if Patronus walks, UBS walks to the tune of 80-something million dollars a year. Out of their projected $212 million budget. Yeah, something. So it's kind of significant. It's pretty significant. Uh, Eddie then went on to say that this would precipitate um, Mercedes, the, the Mercedes board, to decide to pull the team out of Formula One Um, to continue being an engine manufacturer, but not to run a team. And he went so far as to say that negotiations had already started to sell the team to uh, China Racing, the the new... China Formula One racing team that had just stood up. Yeah. With their goal of looking at building or buying a Formula One team. Mm Mm-hmm. Well... We knew Toto was not particularly happy on Channel 4. Uh, No, Toto did not handle this bombshell news like, oh, Eddie, you're doing so well. But he did say some weird things like, are you in my office? Yeah, there there were some odd odd comments that were made in in that whole discussion. Um, But he went on a little more this week. We, We heard a little more from Toto about this. What Toto said was, I told him I'm ready for any banter. But for me, I stop laughing when it's about making jokes on the back of 1,500 employees that care about their future. As I said it in an interview with him, that this is a too serious a topic for me. We are not leaving F1. None of our sponsors is leaving F1. We are pretty happy where we are. And he should just stop putting those, and he should just stop putting these rumors, fake news, out in the world. Now, for Eddie's part, Eddie spoke to Autosport. He said... I've never said they will pull out. I've said Mercedes are in the business for marketing and technical reasons. They are not in the business of love, and they will go when it suits them. I don't think I said what the right time is. What I said is 2018 is when the contracts with major sponsors UBS and Patronus run out. I can understand why he's angry with that, but that's not my concern. That's life. It's going to come out sometime. If I say it, I'm convinced. Look at it the other way. He's talking about 1,500 people. I'm talking about thousands and thousands of Daimler shareholders. Having been on many boards, the board members are the people who will make that decision. In my opinion, they will do what suits the company best. If they can find that the return for the investment is no longer justified, they're gone. Gone as a works team. Where do you think Mercedes came from? And where's Toyota gone? They'll keep the engine department. That's for sure. 
Now, okay, a, Mer- a Mercedes spokesman has said that it's wrong of Jordan to claim that the contracts for Patronus and UBS expire in 2018. And Jordan went on to say that he's going to continue to speak his mind. He said there are too many people too worried about whether they can go into someone's motorhome or not. I'm in a job of reporting what I know. That's what I'll do, and no one is going to shut me up. If it's complete crap and not one cent of it is true, then, of course, they should say that. But here's the thing. That's not what Eddie said. What Eddie is saying that he said is not what he said. Yeah, what what Eddie is saying that he said is something that he said for a while now, is that at some point Mercedes is going to get up and decide that, yeah, we've accomplished what we need to, we've done what we want to in Formula One, and we're going to pull out as a works team. Um, but the board will make that decision at some point. Right. As opposed to UBS is leaving and Patronus is leaving and the team's going to pull because of that. Right, but he's he went on to say, I mean, very specifically in that um, interview, that there were already talks happening Mm -hmm. and that the you know yes the contracts were up and that they were have already decided to pull out and all of those things he said those like they were facts yeah and everybody is saying that eddie dude they're not facts and i don't know whether or not that means that the contract i mean i'm assuming the contracts really are up in 2018 but we also know that there's driver contracts that are up that doesn't mean the drivers are leaving yeah so i mean yeah at some point every team will pull out of formula one and go do something else except possibly ferrari unless well at some point what happens i mean frank dies claire can't necessarily hold the team together you know maybe she can maybe she can't but at some point does it morph into something else and you got to think about who the old guard really is, and then you have to wonder if the financials change, would Ferrari consider it? But I, the only way I see Williams leaving Formula One is if they cease operations entirely. Right. And they have diversified into other technologies, but still the core is Formula One and them leveraging the developments that they make for Formula One into other areas. So as long as that business model continues to work for them, I don't see Williams going away. Right. And I don't want to start any rumors that I think that that's going to happen. (laughs) But what I want to make very, very clear is that there's no one, unlike what Bernie used to believe and spout, I don't think that any team is guaranteed to continue for the rest of time. Well, no, I don't think that. They may they morph and they shift and they ebb and they flow because that's what you have to do when you're dependent on sponsors and budgets and drivers and all of those things. There's no guarantee that a, a landmark team is going to stay around forever. I mean, Mercedes has truly been around Formula One for a very long time in one capacity or another. Um... You want me to no, pull out was, the big book of Formula One? Well, no, they were in the 50s. They disappeared for, for a while. I want to say it was most of the 70s, there was no Mercedes around. And it was the 80s or 90s that they came back as an engine builder. But didn't they just celebrate like 40 years in Formula One? or? Yeah, because they don't count the fact that there was a break. Right. They were on a break. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know who else was on a break? And arguably is still on a break is Honda. 
<laughs> That's right. It is time for Honda bashing again. Did they not get the memo that they weren't on a break? We, we have reached the, the point in the show where we are once again bashing Honda. <laughs> you mean somewhere between the opening and the closing of every show? Yeah, well. I mean, because truly you have become a three-bashing pony over here. You bash Honda, you bash Lance Stroll, and occasionally, only because you have Stroll to beat up on now, you also bash Pastor Maldonado. Well, we but we lost Monisha Keldenborn. <laughs> Remember, we got the email. We don't have her to kick around anymore. Oh, that's true. <laughs> You've been depressed all week about I know. that, too. And you had just gotten that really great sad Monisha face. I know. Well, Honda, in particular, uh, F1 Honda F1 project lead and chief Yasuki Hasegawa is very relieved by McLaren's first points of the season. Now, as uh, a few folks have pointed out, um, compared to 2013, which was also a no, no it was 2014 rather, which you know Honda's first season back, which was also fairly disastrous we are what about three races or four races ahead of where where they were when they first got points in the season so this isn't the worst that despite how it feels this is not the worst that they've done together it is not the worst but they're still rebuilding remember that yeah well what uh uh mr hasegawa-san has said is, I'm very relieved that we could get points. The drivers made a very good job in the race of survival, and we are very pleased about that. It's very important to get two cars to the finish. It's very positive. But just with one race, I couldn't say we are very confident. From a performance point of view, just 13 cars finished. So it's fair to say we're not very fast. The gain from the upgrade, from the update, because they did roll out an update, is not big enough to catch up the top runners, but it is good progress. McLaren are not very excited because it's not a huge upgrade to catch up the top runners, but of course they are pleased. It's important we can show them some progress, although we didn't achieve the complete target of our goal to match the rivals. So let's review for a second. They came in, what was it, ninth? Yeah, one car. And um, there were only 13 cars that finished the race and Stoffel ended in 12th and Stoffel ended in 12th mm -hmm. so basically what we have learned is that with attrition from other drivers leaving the field Fernando was able to outdrive <coughs> four people with his turd of a car with his fantastic vehicle that is improvement because he can now outdrive four well, that's, that's rather honda, than two that's what honda says you know this is this is promising this is good we got some points woohoo sauber still has more eric, points than them eric bouillet on the other hand was going yeah no i mean yay points but yeah no <laughs> What, what Eric had to say was the team did a great job, and the drivers did very well to try to get the best out of it. Fernando was obviously in a good position. He got excited, and he drove very well. He was really, really on it. It was unfortunate that Stoffel had to, pat for, had to pit for a flat stop. 
Let me say that again. It was unfortunate <laughs> that Stoffel had to pit for a flat spot because he would have been 10th with one point. Any points you take is a good reward for the team. This is, for me, what matters. I'm not smiling. I'm not excited because it's not the reason why I'm racing, and especially not racing with McLaren. But mathematically, it's good for the team to have some results. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I see it. I definitely see it. Now, if you remember last year's Super Mario Grand Prix, <laughs> we went into that weekend, and everybody was like, this is a race that we could have some a lot of action. There's a potential for a lot of drama between the super narrow turn eight that you know coming around by by Princess Peach's castle and all of that stuff, the narrow track, the high speeds. This could be a big deal. And then we had the GP two race and it was it carnage. Was, it, it was re- bumper cars. It was carnage. Everybody figured this. We're going to have a hell of a race out of this. There's going to be all kinds of stuff going on, and other than Lewis having mechanical issues or electronic issues, there was nothing. No. And everybody complained that oh, this is boring. Why are we going to Azerbaijan again? Azerware. <laughs> so then we get to this year, and it was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> this was the race that everyone predicted last year. Yeah. I mean, wasn't they? Didn't they have to pull some curbs down between free practice three and qualifying? Yeah, they pulled away some curbs over by by the infamous turn eight because cars were being bounced off the curbs and into the wall, mm-hmm. which is um, really not what they're supposed to do. It's not healthy <laughs> for the cars. Yeah. Um, so th- there there were some changes made around that. Now this time we did not have the issue of a car driving down pit lane and sucking the grate off the road. That's true. We did have that last year. Yeah, that was Valtteri who uh, had that dubious honor. (laughs) Yeah. Manhole covers coming up and things like that. That was not what we had. There was a lot more trash flying. And and we saw this last year, too. A lot of bags and other city-related debris flying around and causing issues. I was going to say that the, the subtitle to this year's Super Mario Grand Prix should have been debris. Yeah. It was all about the debris, whether it was street trash or carbon fiber bits or whatever. But I thought about half the race was under a safety car so that they could clean debris. It kind of was. We had three different safety car periods, and ultimately we ended up with the red flag period, which saw in its own right, when we're red flag, we saw two retired cars come back. Right. Which has never been seen in Formula One in years. That's like the old days where they had a spare car and the drivers would sprint down and jump in another car and try again. Which kind of makes you wonder why the team didn't have a spare seat for Sergio Perez. Because ah. if they had had that spare seat, Sergio apparently was run or, or he was in the running for a record. I think he was three races away from the most number of consecutive races completed. Okay. And it may have actually, no, I don't think it was in, in completed into points, but I believe it was a consecutive number of, of races completed if he hadn't retired. And it looked like he was going to have it back again when they brought him back. But the seat, whatever had happened to the seat, made it impossible. Yeah. Poor guy. But the other thing that 
should be a reminder to the teams that if you're going to work on the cars during the red flag period, you cannot work on them in the garage. Right. You have to do it under the supervision of the um, marshals. Because I think that was the worst part about it was, okay, they got Sergio out there. And then, oh, wait, you got to have a, you got to do a drive through penalty because we should have turned around and worked on your car in the pit lane as opposed to in the garage, even though we'd already technically retired the car. And then we're going to retire the car anyway. Right. Oh. And it happened to Kimmy, too. But Kimmy didn't retire. Kimmy did finish the race. Oh. But he got the penalty. Right. So first we'll talk about the the sum up of these safety car periods. Okay. Um, there is a lot of concerns about how it went. And, and I, I think this is more an issue with Baku and the layout of Baku and how the drivers handle the safety cars and the speeds that go along with it. Um, Carlos Sainz in particular has is calling for a rethink of at least the safety cars in Baku because the issue is, as he puts it, there's a lot of blind corners. There's a lot of 90-degree corners there. You've got the front runners. They are controlling the pace, which they're supposed to do, and that's important in a minute. But they're controlling the pace like they're supposed to do, so they're speeding up and they're slowing down and they're doing all of this various stuff. Well, as that translates deeper into the field, those swings and speed become much more dramatic and they become much more dramatic with blind curves on top of them so you've got drivers who you know they're at the back of the grid they're driving essentially flat out to keep up with the pack under the safety car but then they get around this blind curve and the whole pack is slowed down and they're jumping on brakes to avoid an incident then they're jumping on the accelerator to take off again and it's it's an issue Mm -hmm. So he has expressed concern about that. He's calling for changes, at least in Baku, to the safety uh, car process and restart process. Um, I think he wants the full line for when the safety car pulls away and when when the drivers can can start playing with the pace um, to be a bit closer together. I think that makes sense. So then we get to safety car number two. Yes. And the bump heard around the world? The bump heard around the world, this yes. That's the best way to describe it. So the scene happens, okay? We have safety car number one, and safety car takes off. Lewis is controlling the pace. They get to that point where he can start to open up the race and start to, to set the pace for the restart, and Lewis takes off like a shot. Which he had a beautiful to restart on that one. I mean, it was gorgeous. Caught Sebastian Vettel flat-footed. Mm-hmm. However, by the time he hit the restart line, he was really close to the safety car. Now, from our understanding and from Lewis's comment as well, he did not pass the safety. If he passed the safety car, that would have been really bad. Mm -hmm. He did not pass the safety car, but he was close. The team warned him about that, and, and Lewis, I think, realized that maybe it got a little closer than it should have. Um, so as a result, we get to safety car number two like a half lap later <laughs> we get to safety car number two and instead of taking off lewis hangs back a bit comes around i think it's turn 18 was what the turn was lewis apparently made constant speed and, and a telemetry um backs up everybody's claim that lewis held a constant speed 
but he didn't take off like he did in safety car one. Sebastian Vettel, expecting Lewis to take off, comes around the, the blind corner and sees Lewis in there and goes, oh, crap, and rams him. Rear-ends him. Rear-ends him. Sebastian believes, and we haven't heard otherwise yet, so he probably still believes that Lewis brake-checked him. Mm-hmm. Which, again, Lewis gets to control the pace. Right. I mean, but he didn't break check him. He so didn't the break check him. the facts are such that but, he did but, not but break e- check him. Even if Lewis had turned around and, and decided that, you know what, I'm still too close to the safety car, he wasn't going to accelerate for that much longer and actually slowed down a little bit more coming out of that curve or out of that corner. That's his right to do that. Right. That's what you get when you're in first. Mm-hmm. But Seb convinced that he was just brake checked and that this was this unsafe condition that Lewis just created comes around. And this is the other thing we don't know is that he comes up alongside Lewis, which I think was questionable in its own right. I'm mm-hmm. not sure you're allowed to do that either, but comes up alongside Lewis. We know he took at least one hand off of his his steering wheel and gestured at Lewis. There was a gesture. There was a confirmed gesture. What we don't know. And nobody's released the telemetry to show us, and we don't have the in-car to see what he was doing. We do not know if Seb deliberately swung the car into Lewis, or in his emphatic gesturing, the car (laughs) drifted to the right and struck Lewis. We don't know that. Wow, you're willing to give a lot more benefit of the doubt than I am. Because the out-of-car looks very much... Like the Ferrari went straight into the side of Lewis. I agree 100%. And honestly, given Seb's... Anger? His inability to always be in control of temper his temper. Tantrum. And, and And his ability to um, throw some pretty spectacular fits while in the car. It wouldn't surprise me if it was deliberate. Mm-hmm. Especially given where the contact was made. It was tire to tire. And Seb has admitted, and actually, or was it Daniel, has admitted that on at least one other occasion, he thought it'd be kind of funny to go and do a bump like that in the middle of the pass at high speed. Oh, fun. He did it this year with, I, it, I think it was Ricardo. Mm-hmm. I don't remember whether it was Ricardo that bumped him or he bumped Ricardo. But it was tire to tire because that's the least amount of risk. Yeah. But there's, anytime there's contact, there's risk. Yeah. And I have to tell you that this is one thing I will call Lewis out on. His PR brain, his PR brain that is constantly working, and I believe so fundamentally part of him that he doesn't necessarily even realize that he's always doing it, that it's not as cowled and calculating as it might sound, but that his PR brain is running so fast and furiously that his reaction was so perfect Think of the kids. That was unsportsmanlike behavior. Think of the kids. And I'm like, whoa, you cannot argue that. That is so perfect. It is not the. It's a Lightning McQueen comment. Ah, it was the, you can't do that because there's kids watching. And that's unsportsmanlike behavior. What does this say about our sport? What does this say about who we are and all? I mean, Talk about the high road was below him with that one. I mean, that was like, Lewis. Well, let, let, let's 
talk a little bit more about Lewis and Lewis's reaction. You know, Seb said that he wanted to call, he planned on calling Lewis and, and discussing this, uh-huh. that they needed to clear the air and work this out. So Lewis's response to this, firstly, he doesn't have my number. <laughs> I'm just going to do my talking on the track. That's most important for me. I've heard of what he said after the race. I've not come out of the race pointing the finger or said anything. It is what it is. It happened. I don't think it was right, but the biggest thing for me was that I lost the race through the headrest issue. All I'm thinking of is get my head together. I want to kill it for the next 12 races to go. I want to win the next 12 races. I need some time to reflect on it all, but I think ultimately what happened was disrespectful. If I had had any ill intent in terms of my driving towards him, brake testing, whatever it may be, I still think it's not deserving of that kind of reaction from someone, that person you do have respect for and always showed it on the track. That's the kind of thing you see in go-karts, which you learn from not doing in carts. <laughs> yeah. So then we have comments from Toto Wolf. So what Toto had to say, and this was... Uh, I believe it was speaking to Sky. I could be wrong here. No, it was Autosport. He was talking to Autosport. He said, you know, emotions go high in a race car. Like we've seen in the past, you have the visor down and you have your own perception of events. So I guess the only explanation I have, and I'm not going to project Sebastian here, is that Sebastian thought Lewis was brake testing him, which he wasn't. We've seen that in the data, with the safety car being 150 meters ahead, so that was a wrong judgment. I almost can't imagine that he did it on purpose and shunting into him. So I'd like to speak to him personally and hear what he says about the incident, rather than making a judgment without properly having heard his statement. Now, when asked for his thoughts on the penalty, Toto said, if a driver does that on purpose in anger, then you have to think about the size of the penalty. Of course, he is a four-time world champion, and in Formula One, we are setting examples to all the young drivers out there about what is allowed and what is not. It is difficult for me to understand. It didn't change anything. But um, Ferrari also kind of broke their silence. Because there's been much to say about Ferrari has been avoiding talking to the press as much as possible. Well, Maurizio Arrivabene spoke to Sky's Italian F1 channel about the race. And what Maurizio had to say was, We will do an analysis of the race, but we will not complain because it is not our style. But from what happened between Bodis and Raikkonen and then afterwards the episode of Vettel, are we in F1 or the Coliseum? If we are at the Coliseum, then just say, and we can do a famous technical directive and we can all follow that. Having said all that, we fought hard in Austria. We will try again more determined than before because we talk a little and work a lot. Now, he was asked a little further about the penalty and um, some of the, the criticism that's happened. And what Maurizio said was, criticizing as well may seem inelegant or an excuse on our part. That said, you have to judge the situation exactly as it is. And when in doubt, give Ferrari the benefit of the doubt. When in doubt. Give Ferrari the benefit of the doubt. No, we're, we're not wrapped up in Ferrari's own self-importance in, <laughs> in Formula One. <laughs> now, he moves on and he goes to say, the important thing is to look forward and make sure that things are right. 
There was a beautiful demonstration when the boys were thrown on Raikkonen's car, preparing it in no time at all and sending it back out to take advantage of the red flag. This is the Ferrari I know. This is a team that will never give up and will continue to never give up in sporting terms. Now, Nicky Lauda has suggested that Vettel will ultimately realize he was in the wrong, but Maurizio preferred not to respond to that. He said Lauda can say whatever he wants. Sometimes he speaks for himself. Sometimes he even talks to us. But as I said before, we are silent. We work and we let Lauda talk. He has his points of view, us ours, and we'll see you in Austria. He will continue to speak. We will continue to listen to it. Perfect. There are still 12 races to go. Oh, my word. (laughs) You got to love that. Yeah. um, We're not going to. You got to give Ferrari the benefit of the doubt because, you know, we're Ferrari. Uh, But once again, you thought this was all wrapped up at the the end of the race. And, you know, we we had our our five second stop go penalty for Sebastian for. or, Or 10 second stop go penalty that. Still gave Vettel more points, and well, the outcry and that happened over that. How if um if so, Hamilton would have stayed ahead of Vettel even after that whole piece, except for the headrest. Except for the headrest, and there was Lewis came up into traffic, which slowed him down, and Ferrari was able to see that and they get- had a window that they could get him in and get that penalty out of the way. Right. And, and and still come out ahead of Lewis. Yeah. I mean, I think Lewis was um, angry that he didn't think 10 seconds was long enough, but it would have been just fine had he not also had a headrest issue. Um, now, did I read correctly, and if I'm jumping, I'm sorry, that FIA is still looking at this crash? Well, that's the thing. We've got <coughs> We've got a statement from the FIA. It says, following the recent incident at the Azerbaijan Grand Prix in which car number five, Sebastian Vettel, was involved in a collision with car number 44, Lewis Hamilton, on Monday, July 3rd, the FIA will further examine the causes of the incident in order to evaluate whether further action is necessary. A statement regarding the outcome of this process will be made available before the upcoming Austrian Grand Prix. So, yes, they are looking at it. Um... The question is, what happens here? Because I guess if the FIA decides that further punishment is required here, and I don't know if it's a, um, if there's an appeal process or anything like that, but should there be further dis- disciplinary action that needs to happen, I guess they, they move the whole thing to the FIA International Tribunal. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things to make note here is go back to Mexico and Seb's infamous outburst on the radio directed at Charlie Whiting. Right. Seb got a warning back then that stated thus, the FIA takes this opportunity to advise that in the event of any future Im- incident similar to the one that occurred in Mexico – Disciplinary action will be taken by bringing such incident before the FIA International Tribunal to be judged. And you add on top of that this next thing is four-time world champion. He has now managed to get, as of right now, 
more penalty points on his license than any driver since the penalty point process has been initiated. More than Pastor Maldonado, more than Roman Grosjean, more than anybody else. He is now at a point that should he get, um, it's, uh, it's a, what is it? Uh, 12, yeah, 12 points in a 12-month period, you can get black flagged. Or, or not black flagged, you get a one-race ban. Right. He's at nine points right now. So if there is an incident in Austria that earns him 12 points, he gets a one-race ban. Now, he's only in that jeopardy right now for Austria because it's after 12 months they age out so he's going to lose i believe it's two points yeah he's going to lose two points um after austria one way or the other but if he should get hit with a three-point penalty for some reason and he's getting a race ban couldn't the tribunal give him i don't think the tribunal would get give him points on his license but the tribunal may turn around and suspend his license they could turn around and give him a one-race suspension independent of this. Independent of the race ban. And right. So let's just do a little mental math here because, you know, my boy. Um, should Seb have to sit out a race, all Hamilton would have to do is make fourth or better to come even. Mm-hmm. Fourth would get him even. Anything above that would shift the entire tide of – the racing i mean that could be pretty incredible you have that you also have that um ferrari has changed out several components in that engine yeah they've managed to go and reintroduce some older components that they've refreshed but their pool of spares is dwindling truth truth all right so from unsportsmanlike behavior to... Well, we have the follow-up with the headrest. Yes. Because that was bizarre. So what we have heard from, from Mercedes and Toto Wolf is that Mercedes has spent time at the factory in Brackley looking into exactly what went wrong. And they've concluded that the length of the locking pins at the back of the headrest, this is where it attaches to the car, most likely p- played a part. The team has decided to change the design of the pins as an extra fail-safe to help ensure that the headrest is fully locked in place whenever it is fitted to the car. Total Wolf said immediately after the race it was the first time such a problem had occurred, but suspected the fact that his team's pins are shorter than some of its rivals most likely played a part. You know, because they were trying to save weight. Well, yeah, the, he doesn't the have longer a pin, Yeah, the longer pins went with Lewis's drinks bottle and his trainer. Exactly. It's his trainer. But, you know, it's it's funny. He didn't give up his physio. Um, But one of the things I thought about was I'm willing to bet that those clips all get replaced every race so that they're fresh and new. And they're not probably designed to be popped out mid race. I mean, it would be nothing in my mind that says yeah. that it, it was probably weakened because they popped it one more time than normal because of the red flag experience. Yeah. You know, if he had just sat his happy bottom in that car. Well, there is keep, it, it does get removed at least once because you remember the, the drivers get in the car the very beginning in the garage, take it out, do a couple of reconnaissance laps. And then the car goes off and sits in the pit lane for the start, and the drivers pop out of the car. Well, I understand. So there that, is some. I was going with the one more than average. Yeah. 
um, you know, they weakened the clip system somehow because he got in and out of the car one once or twice more than he normally does or whatever that is. But that one was bizarre. And having Cothard explain it while we were watching it was wild because what he was talking about as an experienced driver, which I'm only can assume that since David Hobbs drove in the polo hat and handlebar mustache safety years did not have a commentary for was talking about that the wind coming off the front end of that car causes anything that sticks up to act like a sail mm-hmm. and that sucks it up it sucks it up and so i mean at one point you watch hamilton holding on to it well it was more than just that he was able to describe this he's experienced it Mm-hmm. When he was driving for Red Bull, and I don't have the year off the top, I believe it was one year in Silverstone, where his headrest got sucked out of the car during the race, and the debris caused problems, and I believe they red flagged the race as a result of it. Yep. And Charlie Whiting could have totally black flagged Lewis's car when— Well, the team was told that if Lewis didn't come, come in, in when he did, they were going to black flag him. Yeah. Um, so, I mean— yeah, this that was that was unfortunate and sad. Totally a racing incident that it happens, and I'm sorry for Lewis. But I think that given the frustration and the temper fit that Vettel showed, it made Lewis's potential anger over the headrest look like small potatoes. Yeah, I mean, because Lewis can be moody, Lewis, and we know that, and he can have his own set of temper fits. But Vettel is proving out that he's got a little bit of a hot head. Mm-hmm. Also, technical failures that occurred over at Williams and uh, Felipe Massa. As you'll recall, coming out of the, the red flag period, seeing Felipe's car bouncing around. Yes. Well, we heard from Patty Lowe what happened. Because he's, you know, he's now their their chief technical officer, and he's taking Claire's place at the track since she is uh, expecting a Velociraptor. Yes. Okay. Anyway, um, he's actually knowing that family, she's expecting a race car driver, but <laughs> <laughs> possibly an engineer, but you know, probably a, a race car driver. Anyway, what do you Patty- think they're gonna have? A little baby-sized helmet for the cat and for the kid. Absolutely. If you, you you know Felipe, I would bet that Felipe Massa is going to give her and and keep that kid in child-sized racing suits for most of his life. Well, it will be all hand-me-downs from Filipino. Yeah. Um. No. Wait. We got to go down this path for just a minute. And I'm sorry. I'm going to take you off course. Do you think you see in the future? Because I see it clearly. A karting duo. A challenge of Jack Wolf and to be named uh, that would be Claire Williams. Cool. Would that not be pure racing gold? Ba- Baby Williams and Jack Wolf. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And what would be even more awesome is if it's a duo and Claire's baby's a girl, because <laughs> that would rock the world. <laughs> anyway. All right. Off so the baby talk. We, we heard from Patty Lowe what happened with Felipe's car. He said it was a failure of part of our damping system. It had locked the rear suspension solid at a high ride height as well, so it was locked up at the droop position. It was close on the restart with Daniel, but in truth, the problem Felipe had with the car had existed from the minute the cars had left the pit lane. As we retracted it, it occurred on the in lap before the red flag, which we hadn't been able to spot in the data. 
We wouldn't have been able to fix it anyway in the red flag period, so it was what it was. He had no pace, and that's why Daniel was able to overtake and to turn one. Wow. Yeah, and that Poor probably Felipe. cost Felipe a win right there. Yeah. Poor Felipe. Force India, not particularly happy with its driver's rating. Well, they did pay a little bumper cars. The boys are on a naughty step. Ooh. Do you think they had to go borrow the naughty step from Mercedes? No, I'm pretty... We, we've seen pictures of the Force India garage um, from several visits. They have their own naughty steps. <laughs> they might not be as nice as the naughty steps over in Brackley at the Mercedes garage, but they have their own naughty steps over there. <laughs> Um, Otto Safnauer says the worst thing you can do is hit your teammate because it gives other teams opportunities that they really shouldn't have had. It is pretty tricky, too, because it is a street circuit and anywhere else, Checo would have been able to move over a bit and they would have been fine. But there is a wall there. We will definitely review it in a professional manner. Talk to the drivers and say this is unacceptable. We cannot be running into each other. It's bad enough if you run into a competitor because that can damage your race, but not your teammate because that can take you both out. They understand that. They are intelligent guys. Asked to how he judged the incident, Otto said, it's 50-50, 55-45, after review it some more. You know, whatever it takes. <laughs> <laughs> he said, Checo didn't have the start he should have. Esteban got a better restart and then didn't give him enough room. But this also may be coming to the end of us calling Force India Force India. I heard that our part-time correspondent announced yesterday that they are test driving new names. Well, what they've done is um, they've registered new companies. And actually, the documents revealed that this happened between May 31st and June 6th. Um, new limited companies were registered in the UK under the names Force One Grand Prix, Force One Racing, Force One Team, Force One Technologies, Force One Hospitality, and Force One Brand. Now, the only director listed is a doctor who is an accountant and financial consultant and longtime associate of Vijay Malia. And I'm not saying his name because it's Indian, and we'll leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> There's more consonants than you know how to put in there? Yeah, but he's also, uh, the doctor is also a director of Force India and three other companies connected with it. So we don't know exactly what's going on, but it sounds like something's happening. Now, the new companies have essentially been created to protect the team's preferred new name while it awaits approval, and none of them will actually become the team as such. Figure out how that works. Now, Bernie wouldn't have allowed a team name change. No. Unless there is a very, very good reason for it and the argument behind it and it makes sense i mean they'll do it for sponsorship deals but the argument behind it is that you know the team and their the the name is part of the team's identity and the longer the team has that and holds on to it the more that identity builds around itself so to turn around and have a team change their name and while it has happened Outside of a sponsorship thing where, with a title sponsorship type of a situation, it kind of breaks that momentum that the team name brings to it. Correct. So, you know, we'll see where that's going to go because the, the belief now is that maybe Force India is not the right direction for them. 
Um, Not that I'm sure Force One is a better one. I was but... going to say Force One I thought was a little cheesy. So our last bit of Azerbaijan news. Yes. And it's actually, it comes about next year's calendar. Okay. And we talked last week when the, ca- the draft calendar came out that Azerbaijan had moved in the calendar. Correct. And swapped some places. And Well, we've got some reason as to why that happened. And actually, this is not, Azerbaijan does not want to be earlier in the season on a regular basis. They had to do this. Um, according to the, uh, the race promoter, they asked to move to an earlier slot for 2018. They want to use the square for a parade on the June date next year for the 100th anniversary of the Republic. And then in July onwards, the European season is too dense, so they can't fit in there. So they want to go back to June in 2019. They like the date. In general, the date works well. It's probably more or less the best weather they can have there. It's hot under the sun, but once you go into shadow, it's okay. On the other hand, in April, it's significantly colder. It's not typically T-shirt weather in Baku in April. Ah. So that could be its own issue because, as we know, colder weather and Formula One tires are not necessarily a great mix. Exactly. And on that track and, and the complaints that we've already had about the tires, yeah, we'll see where that goes. The other thing that he mentioned is that attendance was reported to be 30% higher this year in Azerbaijan than it was last year. Oh, well, that's good news. Yeah. Unexpected, considering we thought it was kind of dull last year, but this year definitely made up for it. So our, our last bit, last story. Actually, it, it's not a Formula One story. Okay. It's a MotoGP story. MotoGP? We, we learned something in a previous week about MotoGP. And the lesson comes to us, particularly from Dutch rider Bo Bensnyder. Okay. And actually, you know, maybe for for this, we need the music. We need the music. We, we need the music. Well, what we learned is that in a MotoGP race, apparently, you have to finish your race with your motorcycle. Correct. Specifically, you have to finish the race and cross the finish line on your motorcycle. (laughs) Should you happen to get into a wreck and fall off your motorcycle and the momentum carries you across the finish line on your stomach, you get a DNF. Oh, that's so sad. Seconds before the end of the race and you fall off your bike and slide home like you were changing sports into baseball, you don't win anything. Yeah, this this was the Dutch MotoGP race in Assen. Um, Dutch rider Bo Bensnyder. Um, he was in 10th place. He was fighting for a last point. He was in the race as a wild card and had a bit of a spill within sight of the finish line and skidded backwards, actually, across <laughs> the finish line, feet first, with his bike just out ahead of him and uh, was given a DNF and did not get his 10th place finish. Ouch. Poor Bo. Poor Bo. So, yes, we have learned today that in a MotoGP race, you must finish the race 
at least in contact with your bicycle, with your motorcycle? I would think so. I would think so. (laughs) Now, before we call it a show, I don't know if you were aware of this, but we had fact-checking live going on during our show, and we have two corrections to make. Uh Uh-oh. I know. You are very scared. The first correction is the formal pronunciation of the name of the BBC, uh, the Channel 4 presenter that also drives in Le Mans. Is that what you yeah, said? Yeah, that, that we had the, the complete space moment because we know his name and we know who he is. Karun Chanda. Thank you. And Karun's going to be re- really mad at us. We are so sorry. Um, we know will, better. I promise. We know better. I'm quite sure that he will send us an email that will not say that we don't have him to kick around anymore. We do not kick him around. We think he is phenomenal at the technical analysis of Formula One. But the email may call us idiots. So. Yes, please. <laughs> we, we, we deserve that. We deserve it. Yeah. The other correction in our live fact-checking show edition of The Bloke and the Bird is that Kimi Raikkonen did not finish the Super Mario Grand Prix. Yes, he did go into the garage. Yes, he came out after the red flag period, just like Sergio Perez. And just like Perez faced a penalty that he then took. And then on that, his race was called. One lap after Perez's late race was called. So those are the two fact checking portions of our of our show. And on that. Well, at at least we caught it now because I'm sure for the last 45 minutes to an hour, at least somebody has been beating on their steering wheel yelling, you idiots. That's not what happened. And that's not. Well, we, we know Karun's probably yelling that but um. it's <laughs> <laughs> like my name's not that hard um so what i wanted everyone to know is that we do do real-time fact checking on this show this is the service level we provide and no other podcast produced by us does this it's either that or it shows how much you were paying attention to what i was saying during the show i'm not saying i did the fact checking and on that note <laughs> we'll call it a show we are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay.